Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Real Blend, a podcast that is still stuck on the Copper Key Challenge in Holidays Oasis. Uh... My <laughs> name is Sean O'Connell. I am managing director here at Cinema Blend, and this <laughs> He's been is sitting on that for a long time. Fourteenth episode of our geeky weekly talk show, and yet. For the first time, we will be making Real Blend history later, and I'll explain why in a moment. But first, I need to introduce my beloved co-hosts, starting with Jake Hamilton, the entertainment reporter for Fox 32 in Chicago. Jake, how are you? Sean McConnell, how the hell are you, hey, man? Good to see you. I'm, I'm wonderful, my friend. I'm wonderful. And we, of course, are joined by Kevin McCarthy, the entertainment reporter for Fox 5 in Washington, D.C., <laughs> who, before this show started, said that Ready Player One is better than... Citizen Kane. And okay. meant it sincerely. All, and meant yeah. it sincerely. All right. You know what? I have no problem admitting that I would rather watch Ready Player One any right. day of the week over Citizen Kane. But I will say one thing. I know and admire what right. Citizen Kane did. I respect right. the film. And I respect Orson Welles. I just don't love the story. That's is it I'm better than Vertigo? Do you think it's better than Vertigo? Vertigo is a better, in my opinion, Vertigo is a better film than right. Citizen Kane. No, 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 then Ready Player One. I want uh, Ready Player oh, One. Oh, no, no. Vertigo is one of the greatest movies <laughs> ever made. Uh, right. that, that, that's different territory. We're going to get into Ready Player One um, <laughs> later on in the podcast. We're going to review the film. We are going to be spoiler-free. So if you haven't seen it yet, and a lot of a lot of people haven't yet, it just opened last night, we're going to explain to you why we love it as much as we do. We've all been able to see it. Some of us have seen it multiple times, and we'll explain why repeat viewing is important. But I mentioned at the top of the show that we were breaking new ground here at Real Blend, and that's because... For the first time ever, we actually have a guest, Mr. Juan Fernandez, who is the film critic of WAPA America. Juan, say hello. Hello, guys. How's it going? Sort of so nice to stop being a stalker online and to actually get to participate (laughs) on the show. And not so be a one, hater from the silent. Let let that be a lesson to all the people online. That's really all it takes. Just tweet. Can I say one thing? I've yeah. known Juan for I've known Juan for many many years, and I just gotta say, I gotta give him major props for that Michelle Pfeiffer uh, head. I right knew above I, I knew that you were in a way to mention. Look 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 there we go. Look there we go. She's always watching over me. Juan, Juan loves Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. Yes. Well, explain briefly how you know all of us and and how far back we all go. Well, basically, I am the one uh, film critic in my market uh, who gets to go to junkets, most junkets, uh, which means junkets is where you get to uh, do interviews for the movies. So I've been doing that, started in print uh, 16 years ago, been doing it on the TV side for 12. And one of the great sort of side benefits is getting to talk to people from different parts of the world that share the same love and passion of, uh, you know, where, you know, there are a lot of people who think that critics or film journalists are kind of like very snide. But all the time, what we're going to do today is what we've been doing in the halls while we get to be lucky enough to talk to the people we admire and whose work we're very passionate about. So that's, I mean, we're film geeks. You guys are good guys. Uh, uh, we're going to get into it because obviously half the time Jake's wrong and the other half Kevin's wrong nah. too. Uh, but, uh, but, you know. Well, Juan, that's all the time the, we have for you today. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Goodbye. That was the time for the token Latino on the show. Thank you so much. <laughs> Goodbye. What? I thought that was me. Uh, I was excited. Yeah, Jake, you're the token Latino here. Let's just make that clear. Um, anyway, so I'm excited to get to actually do what we do, uh, but do it in this form. Well, part of the reason why we invited Juan is because he's a huge fan of Ready Player One. Also, I kind of wish we did have a, a dissenting voice, but we'll get to that in a second because we all I think we're all pretty much on board with really liking the film. If yeah. this is the first time that you are tuning in to our show, we are a live podcast that we host on the Cinema Blend Facebook page. But then, of course, you can also find us in pretty much every format where you download podcasts. We're on iTunes. We now have 19 ratings. I'm really happy to add another rating every time we nice. go. And knock on everything, although Gabe's going to hate that I just did that because it probably messes up my audio, but we're still at five stars across the board, and uh, we're I'm really happy about that, personally. Uh, we're on Google Play, Spotify, just about anywhere podcasts are served, so if you enjoy the show, please give us a rating, please give us a review, and um, like I said, we're going to get into Ready Player One in a second. Um, and if we... you don't like us, just be quiet. Just... And, uh, can, we, can we say one more thing about Juan real fast? So, uh, just to, credential-wise, sure. Juan's been doing this for a long time. Uh, uh, he's uh, made films himself. Uh, he also teaches film history uh, in school in Puerto Rico. Um, and like over the years, I've gotten to know Juan. Like he's just like I love meeting somebody who just you know, as he mentioned, we all share similar passions. Juan is very, very great when it comes to the technical side of things as well. 
uh, and I just love talking to Juan about movie making and just in general. And Juan, Juan, you and I, uh, we 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 we've actually been to the arc like before together. We'll go to the movies when we're out there. We'll yep. go to like movie stores in LA and things like that. So it's just cool. Juan's basically like us in Puerto Rico. It's it's, it's, it's very very cool. So that is the correct on. way of saying. But thank you. I feel that you're setting me up to fail now with that yeah. fantastic no. resume. No. <laughs> but you no, will if you choose the wrong Cohen Brothers film I, yeah. later exactly. in yeah. the podcast. So, I feel uh, like this is a pretty low-key blend that we're doing the Coen Brothers one with it, but it's going to end up resulting in a fight. Cause I think I it is. I don't particularly care, but I care about my pick more so than yours. So Right. We're doing the Coen Brothers, and Juan is going to play along with us, and apparently Kevin has not decided yet who his <laughs> is because he's having a really hard time with this. You still I haven't decided? decided? I said Extra it time. Game, I decided. Um, oh, you what? did decide? Okay. Yeah. As Jake pointed out, and I thought this was pretty accurate, Kevin is the guy who comes to class without the homework done and then leans <laughs> over to his friend and he's like, dude, Dude, what did you put? What did you put? <laughs> so, but before we get to all that, um, we always start with news, and I want to hit you guys with a couple of stories that are uh, top of mind. One, I think, is going to lead to a fistfight. So I'm going to do the first one fast, and then, <laughs> then I'll get us to the fistfight one. Um, th- a couple of days ago, like or yesterday, I was out of the loop a little bit, but I know that the X-Men dates shuffled around yeah. a lot. Again. Um, New Mutants, which uh, was supposed to open like in a few weeks, is now August of 2019 after getting pushed back to February of 2019. Mm-hmm. And then Dark Phoenix was November of this week, and that got pushed back to February. Um, why do these movies keep getting pushed back? Uh, how come we keep hearing about reshoots? And are you guys concerned about what's happening with the X-Men franchise? Is this even a franchise that you guys are super concerned about? Or is it just whenever a new one comes out, you'll pay attention to it? I'm definitely the latter. Yeah, me too. I fall in the latter category. Uh, Yeah. Just because they've been mediocre and they haven't held your interest or, I mean, we're in the age of superheroes still. Like we're all geeked up for Infinity War and we're hoping that DC sort of writes its ship. Why is the X-Men Fox franchise lingering in mediocrity? I mean, last year they just lost their, the, the most substantial part. I mean, Hugh Jackman walking away was a massive blow. I mean, it was the best way to possibly do it with Logan, but that was a massive blow leaving behind a majority of characters that I don't particularly care about. Right. And I think they're, uh, filmmaking-wise, they're inconsistent. I mean, Logan's one of the best films ever in the, uh, within that universe, but then Days of Future Past was solid, but then it's just they're, they're all over the place, even, even the ones that are directed by Brian Singer, so... Do you yeah, think I they're agree. waiting to sort of react to Deadpool 2? I mean, that's still a movie that's in that universe. And if it's really successful, I think they're going to want to make a third one or this X-Force movie that they're talking about doing. And yet they just keep pushing back the dates of these other ones, which means 2020 is like the earliest that they'd be able to get to another film that they haven't even announced yet. And Channing Tatum still wants to make a Gambit movie. Oh, yeah, that. I'm with Juan on the uh, on the X-Men in regards to, I, I find myself just kind of like, Okay, I'll watch one because I mean, uh, listen. First, first class was amazing. Uh, I think Nightcrawler opening in X Men Two is probably one of the best openings ever. Mm. Um, and Days of Future Past was brilliant. Logan was brilliant, but there are the ones that aren't great, which is Last Stand, Brett Ratner's movie, uh, and then you obviously have Apocalypse, which was, which was very problematic, except for the Wolverine scene, which was amazing. Um, <laughs> which, by the way, I was surprised how violent that scene was for a PG thirteen movie. I was shocked that they got the that Wolverine shot in the Apocalypse movie, but. Deadpool to me was kind of a it was a, it kind of revamped the X Men franchise for me so I was excited about that so I'm I'm looking forward to Deadpool two specifically because of the trailer but Dark Phoenix I don't really necessarily have a have a necessary want or need for Dark Phoenix in my mind well, and if we, I mean not necessarily because of the X Men but if we go by what ha- what's happened with certain superhero movies at Fox I feel that maybe New Mutants uh, they took some risks and they put them to the test. And those risks probably scared off a major part of the audience, uh, and that's why we're doing reshoots of probably half the. That's a rumor that they're reshooting half the movie. So, uh, Sean, when a movie gets pushed back a year, that's really troubling. I mean, that's yeah. not like we're just trying to find the right window of time to release this film. It's it's we're trying to redo what we did already. Mm-hmm. Like we did a set visit for that movie. We can't necessarily talk about the details of it, but I believe we did it more than a year like not more than a year but maybe coming up on about a year mm. and now we're talking about another year before the movie even sees the theaters i mean it's i don't know i don't i don't know what to make of it i don't understand why the, the more that fox keeps pushing the x-men movies back makes me feel like they're waiting for the disney fox deal to come into play that's what i thought is that they're yeah. waiting to sort of see how this whole thing shakes out because do they want to get invested 
with this whole new franchise only to learn that they're going to have no control over it whatsoever. I feel more confident. I feel more confident about Dark Phoenix. I have to say, I think that Dark Phoenix is not necessarily reshoots or there's something wrong with the film. I feel, <coughs> excuse me, that it's a release issue. That November's too crowded, and February might be better for the box office. But I, yeah, the Disney thing is actually interesting. That's probably exactly what it is. It has to be, right? I mean, because the, the, now theoretically, Sean, I, I'm not really. I'm not really up to date in my mind about how they're going to drop all these characters in with Fox being owned by Disney now. But theoretically, could Deadpool show up in an Avengers movie? I mean, yes. is that something that's possible? I mean, I, yes. I can't imagine that would be insane to see that. But I don't if, know how that would work. I don't think if that would Disney happen, owns though. Fox, if Disney owns Fox and takes over all those properties, they will get the rights to all the X Men characters. They'll get the rights to the Fantastic Four. But in that mix, anything that's a Fox Marvel property, and Deadpool is that. Um, yes, they could theoretically be brought up much the way that, that Sony let Spider-Man come over and be part of the MCU. But I don't, I don't think that would ever happen because he would never do that. He would never, he couldn't be himself. He couldn't be Deadpool. They'd, they'd have to sort of neuter him in order to be in, in one of the MCU films. But that was a question that was brought to the head of Disney at the time of the merger. And he said, we would never alter what Deadpool is. Like, why would you right, mess with exactly. the franchise? But in order to bring him into the MCU, you'd have to. Because he couldn't be the Ryan yeah. Reynolds Deadpool and still keep Avengers PG-13. You just couldn't. Like, I, right. they, you could keep them separate. Well, you could do, you could do the same. You could do a cameo, but you know, but you couldn't. He couldn't be like a featured player. That's I agree with what you're saying. Like, it, like yeah. it could. It would basically be like a cheap Deadpool walk-on, and then that'd be it. It does. It, it uh, wouldn't. No one wants that. Sean, in updated in updated news, uh, I, when the Deadpool two trailer dropped last week, I, I know everyone was freaking out. I was freaking out because I love Deadpool one. Um, one of the stories that came out with that was that a secret cameo was filmed during the reshoots uh, any clues uh, have you heard any news i mean like people were wondering maybe was it wolverine and i, I, I obviously uh hugh jackman's come out and said multiple times we're not going to be i'm not doing the character anymore i'm done after logan which i think is a smart move because you end on that high note because logan was such a masterpiece um but do you, you think there's any chance maybe hugh shows up self-referentially like as himself or makes a joke about wolverine somehow yeah i think if that's anything it'd be jackman playing jackman and not really being you know wolverine and i think that would be really really funny i mean it doesn't feel like all of these post-credit things set up the next movies and with the deadpool universe they know they want to do deadpool 3 they know they want to do an x-force movie but i can't see them playing it so straight that their end credit sequence teases the next movie, they just don't play that way. I think that it would be a joke, and it would be some kind of a meta, self-referential joke. So, hmm. I don't know. I guess we'll see, because it's still coming out in uh, third week in May, when it's going to compete with Infinity War. Um, I want to move over to our next topic, which is something that sort of blew up on our text chain, and then I sort of got out of it, because I didn't want to waste it, uh, <laughs> and I wanted to keep it keep it for the show. Yeah, that's what you do. You keep it exciting like that. And this was comments by um, a beloved director on the Real Blend podcast, Mr. Steven Spielberg, who said, um, and tell me the quote exactly, or give me the, the gist of the quote, that movies that, that debut on Netflix If you first, debut on Netflix and you're good, that's fantastic, but you deserve right. an Emmy. Oscars are for movies that go to the theaters. Well, and that's think, not a direct I've, quote, but that's a paraphrase. I think also, well, I think the direct quote is, is something like, if you're committed to a TV format, then, you know, then you have, you know, then you can't compete for an Oscar because you, then you're not a movie, you're a TV movie. Okay. So that's, I think that's, that is the, a variation of the quote. He mentioned TV format. I, I think we have some strong opinions on this. Um, I am going to go, I'll, I'll let Juan go first. Because, I'm sorry, uh, Sean. I hear, uh, no, I want to hear what your opinion on this is. Do you think Spielberg is right or wrong and why? Well, here's the thing. Before I say right or wrong, I get what him and Nolan, every time the shots are fired at Netflix, I get what they're trying to do. And I do agree with them in the sense that cinema is meant to be experienced on the big screen. And there's nothing, it doesn't matter how good your equipment is or what, what technical specs you got at home. There's nothing like being inside a dark movie theater and sort of having that lucid dream with a bunch of strangers and just having that experience. So, and I feel that everybody's worried that that is going down. Ticket sales are down. I'm not making that up. But if I had a chance to talk this with Spielberg, I think I would like him to clarify that whole TV format thing because Spielberg did TV and he did a little movie called Duel that was so good 
in terms of the storytelling and cinematic storytelling is not exclusive to the big screen. And it was so good that yes, in the United States, it, it, it was broadcasted on TV, but on the rest of the planet, it went to movie theaters and it was a TV movie. So I think, I, I think that, you know, that I agree to a certain extent, but I think that cinematic storytelling is not beholden. What you do with the camera, what you do with the audio, just because it's not on the big screen doesn't mean that you can't use the art of that storytelling. Uh, I do agree that if you're going to qualify to the Oscars, which you know Netflix documentaries have done, is that yes, you have to play. You have to give your audience a choice whether you see it on Netflix, but it has to play in a big movie theater. So because I don't think Spielberg is going to be in a room with Scorsese and tell him, "Oh, The Irishman is a TV movie. You you you're not really directing film. You you made it you you." I haven't seen by it. That criteria, by that criteria, I mean, I'm saying. By that criteria, but what I'm saying is that when he says TV format, he's talking about something else. A TV movie is divided. A TV movie is, has a format because it's going to be interrupted by broadcast. That's what a TV movie is. It's divided in mm. segments. And it's written a certain way, so when the commercial comes in, you have to leave a cliffhanger so people don't turn mm. the channel. That doesn't exist anymore with Netflix. There are no commercials. So the art of storytelling visual and audio storytelling is the same as in the movie theater. Yes, I do agree with him that it should be consumed on the big screen. I am, I'm, I'm, I'm there with him, but I don't think that that classic terminology, oh, oh it's a TV movie, me meaning that it's different and that it's lesser, applies just because it's on Netflix. So that's my two cents on that. Boys, anyone, anyone agree? Yeah, disagree? I mean, <laughs> I, I, you have to have some sort of dividing line that separates one from the two. And and for years and years and years, it has been, did you run in a movie theater for two weeks? That has been the dividing line to the point where everyone from Michael Jackson put Thriller in the movie theater to try to win an Oscar to Tommy Wiseau made sure that The Room was in theaters for two weeks because he <laughs> thought it was up for an Oscar. Like there has to be like, you know, I to, to Juan's point, I mean, you know, whether you're shooting this big, bombastic, $175 million blockbuster or a smaller independent film, there, you know, there's, there's no person that says, well, that's a movie and that's not because this one follows these regulations and that one doesn't. The absolute black and white rule is, did you uh, play in a movie theater for two weeks? And I think that's what you need. You need a rule that gives a quick yes or no. And you can't be mad for Netflix for abiding by that rule. You can't be mad at them for putting out a movie and following by the rule and putting it in the theater for two weeks and then say, well, right. yeah, but, but, but that still doesn't count because you premiered yeah. this certain way. Okay, then that's, let me ask that question. Because then the question becomes, do you have to premiere in a movie theater? Or if, if Netflix rolls out a film, and I'll use Duncan Jones's film Mute as an example, right? Yes. Like, let's say Mute was the Blade Runner of our time. Now, it's not. Right. But let's say no. it just everybody watched <laughs> no. it and we were like, mother of God, this thing is unbelievable. Mm. Um, get it into a theater. Now, if it's played on Netflix and we watched it and we were like, oh, this is amazing. How come it didn't get into theaters? And then they put it into theaters. Would that make it a, a, a bit the ability to qualify? Because my problem is really just in the the distribution model. And Kevin and I were having this discussion on on text chains in that it's it's wrong, in my opinion, to penalize a filmmaker who doesn't get a shot from the studio mm -hmm. when, when I brought up Scorsese, like he, as far as I know, he cannot get the Irishman made, you know, to get theatrical That's distribution. But I know you disagree with that, but he I couldn't can't get understand. it made the way he wanted it to get made. No studio was giving him a shot. None of the studios that he works with on a regular basis were putting up the budget for him to get that movie. I don't a buy theater. that. I don't buy that at all. I, Tell I, me why Scorsese is, well, well, first of all, I have a couple of things I want to say about this. Um, as Juan said, I, I'm a massive advocate of the theatrical experience. Um, filmmakers like Christopher Nolan and Steven Spielberg uh, are, and Tarantino are people who are genuinely serious about putting people in a cinema to watch a movie. Uh, the experience I had last night with Ready Player One for my third time uh, in a massive IMAX theater with 3D was one of the greatest cinematic experiences I've ever had in my life. I... This sounds strange, but I, I find Netflix to be a threat to that experience. Mm -hmm. uh, even though I am a Netflix consumer, I pay for it. I think Netflix is great for 
shows. I love watching Queer Eye. I love watching Mindhunters. I love watching Stranger Things. I love watching the original content they're doing is incredible. There's nothing better than like sitting on your couch and binging television shows. Um, my opinion on Spielberg's comments are that he's 100% correct. Uh, I think that Netflix making a film, and if it doesn't go into theaters, it should not be eligible for an Academy Award. But it does. Um, they do go into theaters, though. Not all of them. Did Mute go into theaters? But no, me, but they're the not ones pushing that, Mute for an Oscar, but Mudbound did. But the ones that Mudbound do, but the ones that do, do go to theaters, and they don't wait for the, what Sean said to be. But let me ask you this. So what we're saying, and you're going to get to why you don't buy that Scorsese couldn't get the rights. But what are you saying? What you're saying is that if it is true, Scorsese couldn't get any studio to give him the budget to do the Irishman. You, would you, are you saying that you would rather the Irishman not happen at all? Is that what you're saying? No, my point is, well, first of all, the Irishman, uh, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, obviously my hope for the Irishman is that it goes in the theaters first. Now, let me ask you guys a question. Uh, when Mudbound was released on Netflix, did it go to the theater first? No, simultaneously. The, simultaneously. That's, that's the problem. That's the biggest Why? issue. Because, I because you're, you, but you're, Why? you're like robbing that. people of the choice. You're telling people no, how they should. Be no, because my parents are watching movies that they wouldn't have seen otherwise no. because they're on Netflix. People have their no. own choice whether or not they want to watch a movie at home or go Com to the theaters. And you're right. You don't get, I'd argue you no. don't get the right to tell them where they should watch a movie. I, I completely disagree with you. I think that you do not have a choice when a film first releases. We didn't have a choice for 70 years years whatever the years were when films first came out in theaters we also i mean how many years did we not have sound how many years did we not well, have color like that's the direction we're moving in my my point is just because it's technologically or more convenient for people to watch movies in their own homes i think a film when when a film releases on netflix i think that that movie should go to theaters first before ever Kevin. touching the streaming platform hold on, hold on let me let me finish let me finish sure. uh before ever touching the streaming platform so in my opinion the 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 forced nature of having someone have to go to a movie theater should be the first thing that they have to do to see that movie like it's been for decades in my personal opinion then you two weeks later then you put irishman on streaming then you put mudbound on streaming everybody waited months for films to hit vhs that didn't want to go to the theaters and that's totally fine if you can't go to the theater or you don't want to go to the theater you're on your own timeline of watching films so you okay so Ready Player One hits theaters on March 29th. You watch the movie in June, like you've been doing for 70 years prior to Netflix streaming a film the minute it comes out in theaters. You need the theatrical run first, then you can go platform streaming, Blu-ray, DVD. I'm sorry, I, I just don't agree with it. I don't agree no, with it at all. And, and I will say that I'm sure that most filmmakers Put working on films right now, if you said to them, look, you guys want to go to a theater or do you want to open on Netflix? They're going to say theater. Like no one's making their movie right now to be like, God, I can't wait to open on Netflix. Like we're going to stream. But at the same time, they want their movie to be shown. And the theatrical model right now doesn't allow for the for movies that aren't. I'm not talking Ready Player One. You know, that's going to get into theaters. But I'm saying that mid-level film I think something like But like what did they do for or... all these years prior to Netflix? Jake, what did your parents do five years ago when they wanted but to watch I'd, a movie? I'd argue well, no, not no, even I'm five years, you. but when they grew up, like we they didn't they didn't exist in a world where Disney could say, You're not getting Star Wars unless we're on all of your major screens and they have to be on there for four weeks and, and then what, they have to give us eighty percent of your profits. What did your mom and dad do when a movie came out in theaters that they wanted to see? That they couldn't wait to see until VHS. They waited, correct? Like a, they, like like, nor, like normal people did for fifty whatever years it was. I don't know you, how many you, years. But it you was. can't use the past as an example of how we should proceed in the future. And the fact Why? the matter the fact of the matter is that even before Netflix, theater attendance was down. Kevin, I mean, you're ignoring that fact. The filmmakers and storytellers, which is what Sean was saying, they're trying to find a viable business model and distribution models for movies that are, are not going to, I mean, I'm with you, like I'm saying, you know I'm about watching a movie in the theater, but I feel that people who are the ones who are still going to the theater, if the movie's available on Netflix, they're not gonna watch it on Netflix. You got it, and I, and, I, and I feel, and actually Spielberg said this about Ready Player One, that he likes the story, that it's a story about choice, about you choosing if you wanna be in the real world or you choosing if you want to be in the in the in the o o oasis, and I think people need to have a choice. 
I, ag- I have no I, problem. But I'm saying if theater if theater attendance is down, I mean, whoever's going to see the movie in the big screen and it's a movie fan and knows what a movie theater experience is, Netflix is not going to threaten that. But if, if the Last uh, Jedi came out on Netflix opening day, I would not sit. Yeah, at home and I would watch not Last see Jedi. it on Netflix. I would still go to the theater. But I'm what I'm saying. All I'm saying is, and it's actually a very simple fix. If you're what Spielberg is saying, what I understand what he's saying is, if you're going to release a movie on Netflix. I think it needs to have a theatrical run first before it ever touches the platform. Let's see, but where where sort of skew, we're skewing the point. point. Yeah, go ahead. Let me finish the point. So his argument was that a Netflix film should not be eligible for an Academy Award, right? Am I right on that? Is that what he said? Yes. If it's on Netflix, it's a TV movie. Is what he's saying. That's what he said. So my point is, Mudbound, Mute, any other film before it ever touches their streaming platform if it gets a theatrical run i don't care if it's two weekends in new york and la then i think you can have an oscar consideration but why film. can it but be if you go to streaming first if you go to streaming first you're a tv movie sorry no well that's no. where i don't agree with you a tv that's movie has to deal with a tv movie has to deal with uh, format is what i'm saying yeah it's like, i see just no because, reason with day and date i see no reason with day and date if like, you have the theatrical option and the netflix option yeah. no, i don't see a problem I'm, I'm I, I completely we're arguing disagree. for two different things because i'm arguing for netflix in the defense of they are are helping filmmakers like d reese they told martin scorsese sure. we'll give you 150 million dollars when no mm-hmm. one else will give it you know because he wants to de-age al pacino and, and and you know we're not we're not talking about ready player one we're not talking about movies that naturally are not going to have a problem getting to theaters d reese wouldn't have had the support with Mudbound, I think, with, with some of the, the smaller films. And the sentiment and the sentiment behind Spielberg saying it doesn't deserve an Oscar, I mean, that's the technicality which we're slipping on, is the whole theatrical versus, me, uh, versus streaming. But I feel yeah. that the Oscar recognizes quality in filmmaker and artistry. So, but, so I feel that if they're both available in the cinema, they're not breaking the rule about showing on the cinema, and it's streaming, one thing doesn't take away from the other. We're opening floodgates here. So if we're going to give a movie an Oscar for premiering on Netflix, what about HBO, Showtime, Cinemax, FX? If they have the movie They have to play them in movie theaters. But if they do, I think, I'm telling you, this is a slippery slope. When you give Netflix the opportunity to be nominated for an Academy Award without the theatrical one first, that gives the opportunity to every other movie uh, uh, But they haven't done it without the theatrical run. They haven't done that. Kevin, when it's screener season, do you forego all... All screeners and oh, go to the theaters to see them or I, do you watch it do you watch them at home if phantom thread came to my house i would never watch it but you watch okay but what about the disaster the artist you watched the disaster artist on a plane didn't you yeah that was okay, my but only because, option because voting because that, that was, was my but that was my that was my only option before voting so I, in order to meet the voting deadline i had to watch it on a plane because i couldn't vote on it otherwise that was it that was out of necessity not because i wanted to watch it that way that was because the opportunity was given to me and i chose that route because i had no other option well, so right, I'm, but, I'm, oh we're getting shut down all right let me say one more thing last thing i want to say i am a netflix person as i mentioned i think it's great for tv shows I also think it's great for artists who want to make movies that can't get them in the theaters. My point that I'm making is Netflix is powerful enough to do this. Just allow the theatrical window for two weeks, then put it on your platform. I don't mind if you want to put a movie on your platform. That's totally fine with me. But give people the option to go to the theater first before they sit in their but, house. But they still have it. that option if they're streaming at the same time. No, that no. no you're, I think you're it's a, forcing it's a, people. It's a, to a, go that's to a threat. First. I think right. that, that I think it's threatening people's movie-going experience. It's giving them the convenience of sitting <laughs> on their couch, getting up, pausing the movie, talking to their friends, taking a phone call. No. I think you in under five years, theater. we'll have an Oscar category for streaming movies. But we'll talk about that at another time. That's fine. Yeah. Interesting. I'll talk about that at another drop, time. Drop uh, the let's mic. Let's talk about a movie that you will not be able to see on Netflix. Um, Ready Good. Player One. That we won't be fighting over. <laughs> Ready Player One. Uh, and that, truthfully, honestly, is a perfect example of a movie that wouldn't be the same. Like, I honestly realized it's halfway through this that, like, screen. I'll watch this movie at home eventually, but it's not going to be the exact yeah. It's not going to be the same movie experience. made for the big screen. Completely. Yeah. By one of the the best out there right now. Every movie um, is made for the big screen. Not let's just Ready Player One. Start for Phantom Thread's made for the big screen. There's no action in that movie. It's all dialogue. That's a big screen. No, but screen I mean film. that in the sense that, like, there are some movies that if I were to watch at home, like, 
if I were to watch Mudbound at home, I think I would be just as impacted as if I watched it. We have talked about Mudbound on this episode yeah. more than I ever... This <laughs> D. Reese is going to send us a check, personally. Juan, what did you love most about Ready Player One? I love that it has its own kind of magic. I was worried that it was that it was just going to be that type of thing. Like, I, it's going to be like... Oh, spot the pop culture reference. I have to say to anybody who's watching us, I didn't. The minute I found out that Spielberg was making this movie, I did not read the book, uh, and because I wanted to have the experience of going to his version of the story and not have the exercise of watching what was changed and what what made it and didn't make it, I want a pure cinematic experience. I had the choice of not reading the book and going straight to the uh, going straight to the movie. So, it but made I, big changes. But I love, I love the fact that it's not Spielberg in an automatic pilot. That is, that is a very passionate Spielberg. Then that that nostalgia is part of the story he's telling, but it, it doesn't overthrow it. And it's very sophisticated about the way that he creates magic on screen. Uh, and I, I, what I love about it the most is the fact that uh, for some time I feel like there's been a, a divide in Spielberg's filmography. Like there's the guy who did. Raiders and E.T. and Jurassic Park and then there's the guy who did Cinder's List and there's the guy who does The Post and then there's the guy who does Saving Private Ryan. But I truly believe that this is the first Spielberg movie that combines those sensibilities that have existed by their, by, on their own. I feel that is a very, that it is, yes, a popcorn flick and that it is entertainment and that it is escapism, but I feel that it's very sophisticated and he actually has something to say. So I, those two things converging is what makes me love it so much. Which is really funny because the story in itself is really inspired by the type of culture that Spielberg helped that impacted in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. For years, right. Like that yeah. culture almost wouldn't exist without the contributions of Spielberg. Um, Most definitely. But I, feel, uh, but I feel that what works is a hero's journey. And that if, uh, for example, my kids, uh, my 11-year-olds went to see it on uh, Tuesday night. And they, I don't force the 80s on my sons. I don't want child labor services coming to my house. So basically, uh, if, he, even if he they- He forces if, the, the 70s on them, actually. No, That's I don't force mean. anything. They find it on their own. But what I mean is, like, they didn't catch half the, the references that uh, people our age, Sean, uh, uh, catch. And they love the movie just as much. So, you know well, what I mean? this is really funny. Yeah. I don't want to give away any spoilers. Again, I'm going to emphasize this is not a spoiler review of Ready Player yes. One. We're going to keep it as spoiler-free as we can because there's a lot of great surprises. But in the middle, and I just want to say this and then you guys can talk. In the middle of the sequence, the great, we're stepping into this classic movie sequence, which is mm-hmm. from the book, but it's different in the movie. Um, our audience was just giddy. Like they were having the greatest time with that sequence. And my boys who are 14 and 10 have not seen the movie in question. So they didn't get what was so cool about it but like they still thought it was entertaining they were still caught up in that moment and it's it's weird like it makes me wonder there are people who haven't read the book and i wonder how much they're going to react to it because i i talked to um eric eisenberg who writes for our site who didn't like the movie didn't really care for it and had he he left the movie with a ton of questions about the oasis and wanted more explanation about how the oasis works and how it's impacted culture and I said, yeah, a lot of that is in the book. It didn't make it to the adaptation. So I think there's a difference between people who haven't read the book and just go into the movie or people who are really familiar with the book and see how what Spielberg pulled out of it and how he how he adapted it and how it changed. It's a, it's going to be a different movie and play to different people depending on, on what you know going into it, I think. My boys as well have not seen the film in question. Uh, obviously, they're 11, but they got that thrill about going into uncharted territory you know what i mean like and the audience as well was very giddy and i feel that that made it special for them and now that now i have to now they want to watch that other movie and i have to okay hold your horses Uh not yet so uh, the the beauty of that scene is that there are characters in that scene who have not seen the film either yeah which is kind of cool and there are Um, things that are not in the movie so so yeah yeah, and i I think, uh, and again, we're not spoiling anything. We're not going to say what what scene they go into in the book. Uh, uh, if you've read the book, they go into. There's a couple other things that, like there's war games and Blade Runner, 20, uh, Blade Runner. Um, that does not happen in this particular film. Uh, but again, uh, that scene. It's interesting that Sean, what you just said. I actually didn't think about this. To me, uh, the powerful element of a film and what makes a film so great is how differently people can react to it and what they take away from it. Um, I think Pixar has always kind of had this weird thing where like adults watch one version of their film and kids watch the other uh there's two different layers there so ready player one to me is like the ultimate experience where 
probably three, four different generations are going to experience three, four different things. Um, and I think the way your kids watched it, the way I watched it, the way my dad's going to watch it, there are references in the film that I don't know, like about anim uh, Japanese animation, things like that, things that I don't get that someone next to me might understand and that might blow their mind. Um, so to me, Ready Player One is almost like that film that can please everybody. Uh, and I think in regards to the film you're talking about, Again, there's a there's a character in the scene that has not seen the film we're talking about. So mm -hmm. if you are one of the people who haven't seen the film, just go on go on go on H's journey in that scene. You know what I mean? So like there's like there, you can actually get in the mindset of Artemis or Parsival or anybody who you want to in that scene and take in that scene from their perspective. I think Kevin, that's awesome. you didn't you didn't talk about this last week when you were mentioning your interview with Spielberg, and I it's listen. We're allowed to toot your own horn for you, um, and I want you to toot your own horn just for a second. Please tell everybody what Spielberg said to you about what he thought you might think. Please share that story. Yeah, it's an no, amazing it was, story. Well, first of all, it was a crazy. Yeah, I still still can't believe it actually was it happened. And if if people weren't in the room that actually heard it happen, I probably would just think it didn't really happen. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, over the years, I've had a chance to interview Spielberg six times, seven times. Um, so I just I don't know. I'm. My quite, my interviews with him have always been like very technical, so I, I I always find that he I don't know he's always nice to me about the answers he gives. Thankfully, he lets me nerd out about his movies. Um, so over the years, I've just kind of like thrown uh, I uh, the past couple times I saw him, I mentioned how much I was excited about Ready, Ready Player One, uh, and then when I left the room, I turned around and I was telling them one of the references I loved in the film. All I'll do is I'll just kind of give you guys this um, without without awesome. saying what it is. <laughs> Sorry, I'm allergic to good stories. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, anyways, so uh, all I did was I just turned around and I said, you know, thank you. I felt like this movie was made for me. And then he said, uh, he said, well, there were there were moments where I was making this movie where I was wondering what your reaction was going to be to this to a, to certain scenes. That is and nuts. I, mm, and I was that like, is I was like, crazy. Oh, you are Spielberg's God. muse. That, <laughs> is, that is crazy. I mean, fourth wall, uh, you know, ultimate wow. fourth wall breaking. I mean, moment. I, I just got chills. The only thing I can think about is uh, the only thing I think about of what he's referring to is I remember interviewing him for the BFG for um, uh, via satellite, and I think he was making Ready Player One at the time. And I remember at the end of our interview, I was telling him how excited I was about it, and I'm wondering if maybe that was the day maybe he was doing something with the movie and like I don't know. I have no idea. See, but I, I'd argue you're you're selling yourself too short. I have this image of him in my in my head, him like sitting alone in a fold out chair on the set. Making a decision one way or the other, and he just looks—he looks at a picture of you, what just Kevin just think? just taped to the wall, going, "What would WKD? Kevin do? What would yeah. Kevin do?" But no, I mean, Jake, how many times, Jake? How many times have you seen it now? Three? Are you uh, I've seen it twice. All right. How does the movie yeah. change from first viewing to second viewing? Uh, the first time was just sort of letting it all wash over me. The second time, more sort of like not picking it apart, but sort of. Stepping back, going, okay, I know what to expect. I know what's coming. I know what's happening. But now I want to look around. You know, because to, to Juan's point, mm -hmm. I wasn't overwhelmed by the nostalgia and the, hey, look at all this crap that you grew up with, uh, which is what a criticism that a lot of people seem to be thrown at it. That didn't hit me. But I allowed it to hit me the second time I watched it. The first time I watched it, the reason I love it so much has nothing to do with the nostalgia aspect. Because I'd say I probably only got 50% of the references, mostly yeah. because I didn't grow up with a lot of 80s video games. And maybe these video games play a big part of it. But for me, there, there, there are certain heartstrings that 80s Spielberg movies sort of pluck that, that haven't been plucked in a long time, one might say. There are just certain things that I feel watching those, those, those specifically those 80s, maybe early 90s, going up to, to Hook and Jurassic Park that, uh, that I really just haven't, haven't felt. And watching Ready Player One this week and then last week, it's the first time I, I have felt those feelings cinematically yeah. in a long time. And, yeah, and it's agree. a cool feeling thinking, you know, like one, forget, like forgetting what that feels like and then being reminded, but then going like, oh, like I never really thought I'd feel that again. And, 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 he, and if this is the last time that he ever makes a movie that, that makes me feel that way, what, what a one to go out on. Well, and what a reminder, too, of that no one else has really stepped up to fill that void of telling yeah. that type of story. Um, I mean, and will it really anyone is, really? I don't know. I mean, I, I have hope that someone will eventually that we'll see. Yeah, I guess that's a question. Is he uh, did he break the mold? Essentially, yeah, is Spielberg, yeah. the broken mold. I think I think this film, um, I think calling this fun, this movie fun is actually an understatement, because I feel mm -hmm. like when people say it's a popcorn film or it's a fun movie, it, it undersells 
the actual seriousness of the movie, the themes of the film. Um, to me, this is like the perfect package of what a movie needs to be. It's not preachy, but it has great messages. It also is extremely fun. It's entertaining. It's funny. It's action-packed. Uh, I want to say a couple things, just technically speaking, uh, about what he did filmmaking-wise, but also the action. Um, the action in this film, as I've, I've, I've seen it three times now, every time I watch the movie, I, I just sit there in pure amazement about how well he blocks action to mm -hmm. a point where everything is beautifully clear. Like I, If you watch the can race I just, sequence... Just only because I, I, I mentioned that terminology earlier today and people didn't know what I was talking about, can you, can you explain what blocking action means? Well, just yeah, just the way, just the way he directs an action sequence. So a lot of to me, a lot of filmmakers, a lot of directors, uh, they rely on quick edits, quick shots, Ugh. quick zooms, whatever they are. Uh, it's I mean, the laziest form of filmmaking. Yeah. So to have me, you, have you guys seen that that shot and take it? Was it Taken Three? Did it take thirteen <laughs> cuts for Liam Neeson yes. to jump over a fence? It's genius, right? Which yes. is ridiculous. I do love so, that actually. So when, when you when you block action or you choreograph action with your actors or your your set pieces and set designs, and you actually take the time, like you know who's really good at blocking action is uh, Chad Stelhesky and David Leach, the guys mm. who do the John Wick movies, mm -hmm. um, because they're stunt guys. So they they come from that background of actually literally choreographing the action to a point yeah. where you're you're fully in the scene and not being cut and edited so well, anyway you're gonna well, stage it show it that's always been my thing yeah if you if you look at the action scenes in ready player one like he's taking you through long continuous shots of action while they may be digital in the oasis we're we're staying in the action we're in the scene we're following the camera so that, chase that to me is one of the most Oh my God! Yeah, but but even I've even not only not only the staging, it's just the framing. There there's a, yeah. there's, there's a scene in the end where obviously I can't spoil, but there's just a a dolly back and just a frame yes. of where he plays this the actor and yep. what the actor is holding and the background yep. and just the power of the depth of field and the composition. There's no, I mean, there's nobody like him in terms of of of, of that and making it all fluid. And what you guys have been saying—it's it's just so, an amazing experience to watch. Someone asked screen. me, someone asked me today why I, why I go to the movies and watch a movie multiple times. And I said I said to uh, the person, I said, when you go to a theme park or ride a roller coaster, do you ever get off that coaster and want to ride it again? Yeah. And so last night I'm sitting in, there in an IMAX 3D theater watching Ready Player One, and, and the the first challenge comes on screen, the race sequence happens, and I, and I've already seen it twice before. My jaw was open the whole time. And I was, I was like breathing heavily. And then once the race ended, I was like, oh my God, I want to go back again and rewind that and watch that one more time. So two quick things I want to mention before we move on. I know we have to move on. Um, the technology in this film of what Spielberg was able to do uh, is beyond belief. Um, for people who aren't aware of how they did this, uh, they... First of all, the actors all shot everything that they do with the avatars, essentially, that was possible. So everything Parsifal and Artemis are doing plausibly in these in these digital oasis scenes is done through motion capture which i feel like you that, can tell you could their face reactions 100%. seem very natural well, well the actors it makes we're also seeing what the world that when they when they shot it that way they they saw the space that they were inhabiting yeah. so well that, that's the cool thing so what they apparently did from what i understand is they were given vr glasses prior to shooting the motion capture scenes because they couldn't wear the vr glasses during the filming of it because they had dots on their faces that had to capture their emotions so spielberg would have these vr glasses he could literally walk into the environment of the oasis and block the actors tell them where mm -hmm. they were going to be mm -hmm. then he would give the glasses to ty sheridan right then he would go okay artemis is there H is there, perfect. Take him off, and then you would film the scene. Not only, first of all, that goes into the memory of the actor, and then allows that, that scene to feel more immersive for you as an audience member because they believe it more as the character, obviously, as we're watching on screen. Second uh, Ty of all, Sheridan said he was asking Spielberg a question, and Spielberg said, Jesus, Ty, I'm busy, as he was counting his money. Is that true? Did that <laughs> really happen on the movie set? Well, and one more thing I want to mention. <laughs> I understood uh, that reference. Thank you, Jake. I, that's uh, Jay and Silent Bob strike back. <laughs> Gus Van Sant, uh, Google Hunting 2 Hunting Tuesday. Applesauce. Um, no, say uh, the whole quote. Say the whole quote. I can't say the B word. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, last thing I want to say. We're all in third and then, grade. And I, I find this to be such a brilliant thing, and I, I know most people probably don't care, um, but the fact that Spielberg, one, is still shooting on film is amazing. Two, the fact that the real-world scenes are grainy 35-millimeter like just imperfect, beautiful, like just, it just looks real. I mean, cinematic wise, what I mean by that. But when you jump into the digital oasis, 
that transition from the pristine, beautiful glory of the digital perfect oasis, then back to Ben Mendelssohn's face or whoever's in the real world, that spoke such volumes and metaphors about what the film was trying to say about real life versus digital. Uh, and it's such a minuscule thing that most, I don't think most people care how a movie was made or how it was shot, but to me, like the visual thing that your eye does, that your mind does, when you jump in and out of those scenes, when you go into the oasis and out, that to me is so powerful. And it's such a very small, minuscule thing that he does, but it's so powerful. I very don't powerful. love when film criticism is reduced to star ratings, but um, give me your star rating for Ready Player One out of five. One. Well, uh, five. <laughs> Kevin. Five. five. Uh, no question. It's my first five out of five of the year and my favorite film of 2018 so far. And I think that it is a film I, I, I'm just... I feel lucky that I that I'm alive to watch it. Jakey, Jakey, I'm gonna say 4.5 with the ability to bump it up to a five later in the year. I'm, I I get nervous about throwing out perfect because because I do out of ten, and, and and I like to only give one or two tens over the course of a year, and I feel nervous giving a ten this early in the year. I, but I say that with the reservation of being able to potentially bump it up to a ten by the time the year but is over. It's a movie I, you're you're about to go watch for a third time this weekend. How could it not fair be? Fair enough. A 10? That's a good point. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. I would go four out of five also, be, just because I think that there are faults of the book that mean faults of the movie. And and in this I'll just say, without any kind of spoilers, the way that the the progression of the puzzles, the way that they're solved, it it just can play it can, it can play out a little better in the book than it is allowed to in the course of a movie that has to take place in two hours. Can I, so. can I say something about the book, by the way? Because I love the book, and I'm a sure. massive fan of the book. I was, and, and this is, uh, I was talking to Zach Penn, the writer, about this um, at the Junket, and I think this is an interesting way to put it. It's, the movie keeps the core and the shell of the story. Three, con, three, uh, three challenges, contest to win the egg, Halliday dies, mm. and then Wade Watts goes in, the high five, whatever. That's all there. All that, that whole shell is there, all the references. Basically, Ready Player One, the movie, is basically like you're playing Ready Player One, the video game, but a different level of the game. So it's yeah. almost as if, like, it's it's still the same concept, but to me, as a book as a book fan, I was refreshed that things were different. Um, to a point where I thought that it actually, I thought it was better than the book, personally, mm. but that's just yeah. me. I think there are some changes that it makes to the book. Alright, we have to move on. Um, we like to play this game. We play it every week. We I, We need a name for the game. If we're going to keep doing the game, we need a name for it. So, um, Jake, come up with a name for it eventually. Okay. Uh, this Jake week. Blend. <laughs> Jake, stop. Blend Not challenge. everything is Jake Blend. <laughs> I know blend nothing's challenge. Jake Blend so far. I've been trying for months. You are been trying for months. This week uh, is Coen Brothers Blend. And producer Gabe, I'm going to remind you that we need to get the tally of all of our social media references for people who used Coen Bros Blend. Um, but we have our choices. Uh Gabe, nod your head up and down. Do we have any repeat choices? No, oh! four different choices. I love it. All right, really? Uh, we're all different. All four different choices for the Coen Brothers. We are arguing to remind people if you're tuning in for one of the first times or just forgotten. This is what we think is the best film by this filmmaker. Not our favorite. Sometimes that syncs up. Quite often it does not. Uh, this is the best Coen Brothers blend. Uh, Coen Brothers film. And I've been told that uh, Juan needs to go first. So Juan, please tell us uh, <laughs> I need briefly to go first. your choice. Well, Gabe, Gabe puts them in an order. I know, order that I know. Let's blame, let's blame yes. it on Gabe. Uh, yes. Thank you, Gabe. <laughs> Always. I've never played this game. game before, so I feel that I've been right. set up to fail. And I'm, I'm actually like not going to look at the screen when I say the ones that I picked. But thank you for saying that favorite doesn't mean the one that is best. And I picked Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Uh, nice. it is, and it's not my favorite. Not my favorite Coen Brothers film. That is definitely Fargo. But I feel that if we're going to argue the scope of what the Coens do as filmmakers, I feel that this one is the one that covers all the bases. Because No Country for All Men feels like a, a style. And Raising Arizona feels like another style. And, uh, you know, all the other ones. And I feel that this is the one that sort of blends there you go haha nah. blends blends yeah, all we... their filmmaking sensibilities into one so i feel that that's why i picked oh, oh brother we're out now and obviously uh, the, whatever you guys choose if it doesn't have a killer john goodman performance then you're wrong so there you go that's my, my that's my two cents oh shoot 
<laughs> oh shoot, huh? <laughs> oh shoot! I, I'd also argue, uh, oh brother, yeah, that's is, a criteria. Uh, some of Roger Deakins' best work. Uh huh. Oh, true. Yes. Um, I want to just tell a really quick, oh brother, we're out there story. Actually, Gabe and I realized in chat that we both have amazing, oh brother, we're out there stories, and um, we. I, I want to talk about how important that film was to me, just really quickly. When we moved to North Carolina, um, my wife and I we moved down from from Washington D.C. And we lived here for a year and it, this area, the South just fit us like a glove. It was like, it was everything that we were looking for without even really knowing it. And then we got a job promotion and it moved us up to New York city. Um, and we hated it from the minute we arrived. It was just wow. like, not us. It wasn't our speed. It's, it's just the New York is what New York is. Right. But we just, we missed the South after being there for a year. And during that time, Oh brother, where art thou opened? And it was mm-hmm. like, it was just like seeing like, an exaggerated version, obviously, <laughs> but it was like, oh my God, our people like this is, uh, and I think we went back to the theater like a dozen times to get <laughs> us through the misery of being stuck in New York. And that movie saved us. I mean, honestly, I can tell you that mm. that movie saved us during a really, That's really awesome. difficult time. And yet it's still not my pick. Still not my pick. power um, of cinema. Is it Jake? your favorite though? Yes. Uh, no, it's not. Well, it's up there. It's really okay. close. Yeah, you know okay. what? That might be my favorite because I love Clooney. I love Clooney yeah. so much <laughs> in everything, and he's so good in that movie. So yeah, he is. I am told that Jake is second. Cool. Um, you know, I this is gonna sound weird, but I, I tend to equate the Coen Brothers almost to Shakespeare, where they make comedies mm. and they make dramas. There, there are yep. so many great films that fit the comedy category. Many great films fit in the drama category. But to oh, me, and Jake, they, let me just say real fast. Some people did cheat on social media and they were like, oh, well, th- these are their comedies list. Yeah, you get, and this you is get, their drama list. You get list. one. You get That's one. Not the you game. get one. Yeah. You get one. Uh, so if I had to pick one movie that in my eyes perfectly fits between those two categories and because of that perfectly sums up who the Coen brothers are, I'm going to go with Fargo. Once again, mm-hmm. I feel like I say this every single week, not my favorite but what I think is the best from the lighting, the story structure, the, 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 the darkness, the humor, the performances, the quirkiness, the relatability. Uh, there are so many things within it that, that to me are the pinnacle of what the Coen brothers do best. And because to me it fits perfectly between both their comedies and their dramas – it's exactly to me what a Coen Brothers movie is like. If an alien landed on this planet <laughs> and we were trying to con- like explain to them who the Coen Brothers were, I would right. slide over a copy of Fargo and say, "This is the Coen Brothers." I'm gonna make a, con- a weird confession. I hated Fargo the first no. time. Oh, really? Hated it. Hated wow. the pacing. Hated the exaggerated accents. Uh, hated the darkness of it. Uh, I was in college when it came out, and mm. I was like, "What? This is awful." Have and you probably, have you gone back? Matt and Lebowski truthfully took multiple viewings before I finally figured out. Oh, all right, I I get what these guys do, and now I I still won't even say that I love Fargo because it's just something about the deliberate pacing. And you could tell me that's because it's set you know, in Fargo and it's supposed to be mimicking the the atmosphere and the people fine. It's still a really tough movie to get through at times because the pacing is just so deliberate. But William H. Macy is brilliant in that yep. movie. Francis McDormand's brilliant. Everybody's great. In it, but the first time I watched it, I thought it was, I thought it was awful. Also a quick side note. Uh, if you have not watched the series, it has yielded one of the best TV series of the last 10 years. Mm. The Fargo yeah. anthology is fantastic. And it's mm. as if I think the Coen brothers are executive producers. I don't think they have a ton of involvement within the series, but it like whoever makes it really has captured the Coen brothers feel. It really feels as if they have made their own TV show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Their stamp. Yeah. yeah. All right, Kevin, you're up. Kevin. Yeah. I mean, it, this was, <laughs> this was hard for me. I, I was, I was actually going in between four different films, um, trying to choose my, what I think is their best movie. Uh, and kind of going off what Jake just said about, that idea of comedy and drama and kind of finding that sweet spot, I would argue that the film that does that the best is The Big Lebowski. Uh, And I know The Lebowski is a very funny film, but it's also very, very dark at at times. Um, And I think the John Goodman character kind of is what really kind of brings that, uh, that it kind of waves it more over the the line. Um, he's funny, but he's also a sick guy. Um, So I thought, I thought I always find myself watching that movie just kind of, so interested in these characters and I think to me the reason why it's their best movie is because that's the one film of theirs where I would watch a spin-off of every character in the movie. I want to see Jesus? 
I would. Jesus. I want to see a spinoff to Jesus. I want to see a spinoff <laughs> to John Goodman's character. I want to see a spinoff to every character in the film. I would watch a Tara Reid spinoff. All I'm saying, well, she's great in the movie. I don't, yeah. I don't care. What you're Isn't Turturro trying to do a spinoff? I thought Turturro yeah. was trying to get that off the ground. Yeah, I just think that the Carter Burwell score is amazing. Uh, I think Deacon's cinematography is amazing. But I think, to me, Big Lebowski is both my favorite and the best movie they made because of, it's just purely entertaining, but also at the same time, it's super dark, and when it gets dark, it gets really dark. And then when it gets funny, it gets really, really funny. Um, and I always found—I uh, don't know why—but like the image that sticks in my mind is the the almost the white murky water that's in his toilet bowl when they throw his face into the toilet. It, I always wonder was that that was that supposed to be like a match cut almost to what the Russian the white Russian looked like because it was very similar oh, to like what was in his toilet. Um but Bridges is, is so perfect in that role. Philip Seymour Hoffman is amazing. Uh I just think every character is somebody that I would watch a single movie about. I mean Tara Reid I'm kind of just like going a little over the fence there, but I mean generally the main characters in the film I would watch a spinoff of every one of them. I would love to see Jesus' background story or John Goodman's background story. I mean, it's it's crazy how, what they were able to accomplish with that film and also still keep it very entertaining but also kind of slide into the darkness as well. Could you imagine Mark, like a Vietnam movie like Platoon but with yeah, Walter? John Goodman, yeah. yeah. I would love <laughs> like to Walter, see Walter. Like yeah. He's like super dramatic about everything. Yeah. I always found that scene when, when they beat that car with the, bait, with the bat or whatever it is... Um, uh, this is what that, you get i just it just i don't know that movie is so it's just like you're in it you're in it the whole time and then the randomness of Ju- i want to see a julianne moore spinoff when she's flying around the room yeah. naked and throwing the <laughs> throwing the paint everywhere that movie just to me just that to me is the coen brothers that movie is purely coen brothers even though it's more on the funny side but it's very very it's just so well done but I'm i just- I, I almost i almost went blood simple I almost went blood okay. simple. Yeah, I did too. I did too, I have to okay. say. But I'm going to say that if a Netflix executive is watching this, you know that the Tara Reid uh, sp- uh, spinoff is going to happen on Netflix. I just want to let you know. <laughs> yeah. And That's I'll have fine. the choice as to where I can watch it. <laughs> All right, listen. Before we derail the whole show again, um, my choice is No Country for Old Men because oh, I think that the yeah. Coens have made a number of... Well, I think they've made a number of amazing films and... I think that's their masterpiece. I don't know if they, like, there's no bad line of dialogue in that film. Everything is so deliberate. Everyone is cast so perfectly. Um, and, and that is one of my favorite types of stories of person who finds money they shouldn't have and then tries to survive long enough to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And it never goes well. Um, and, what a great and, summation of that plot. That's a great, that just well, literally is, elevator is a great, yeah. but, a, um, you just know it's never going to go right. So that the way that that plays out is like, how is it going to conclude? But they use that as a catalyst to talk about something that is inherent to a lot of the best Coen Brothers films, which is just how much can you actually control and how much is just fate making your decisions for you. And in, in Anton, they come up with a guy who is literally relying on the flip of a coin um, to determine whether you know the, there's fate and consequences and then it's portrayed by tommy lee jones's character who's a sheriff who's been living his entire life looking for an answer to um is there some way that i can control what all this awfulness that i'm seeing uh, happen on a day-to-day basis and the answer that the coens come back with is just no you can't like it's all out of your hands life is random um you may be the guy in the shop who's trying to close down for the night and Anton happens to be your customer and he doesn't like the answer that you're giving him and he's going to flip a coin and decide whether you live or die. And it's just, Brolin's character doesn't even make it out of it in a scene that we don't even see. Mm-hmm. It's just the cop rolling up to the, to the, to the, Which the I crime love. scene, essentially. Amazing. Yeah. And to me, one of the best endings that the Coens have ever had, and they have some amazing endings, but all of the things that it says about as you get older... And looking back at the decisions that you made, the choices that you made, and really, like, the catalyst of that movie is just Brolin picking up that money and trying to move forward with it. Anton never cared about getting the money back. It was just about the fact that somebody took the money that didn't belong to him. It's all about, like, what choices you make and how that that alters your decision. I think there's a road that when Anton's sitting across from Woody Harrelson's character, 
And he says to him, if all your roads led you to this point, then what was the point of your rules? Hmm. Right. And it's like, it's that blows my mind. Like that, that it's such a deep analysis of, of life. Essentially. Yeah, I want, I want to I, it, almost, it, almost, it almost sounds like <laughs> you're more in love with what Cormac McCarthy came up with than the Coens. Yeah. That's a good question. That's, that's a really good question where, of, that's yeah. where it gets a little weird, because, not weird, but it, 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 like what you just said just now, First of all, it was extremely passionate and so well thought out. And I was like, now I'm and I and, and as we say every week on this podcast, like we'll, we'll make a, we'll make a case for these movies, and then you go, oh my god, did I, did I pick the wrong one? We do um, do that. <laughs> but I think, but my, I guess my only thing about No Country for Old Men, which I love that film, uh, I don't know how much of that was the Coens. I mean, I was obviously the direction, mm-hmm. the performances, but the themes, the things that you're referring to, seem yeah. more on the McCarthy side of things. But I will say, in your defense. It was the Cohen's job to bring that out, and for you as an audience member to take in those themes and actually understand. I mean, could you say you the same thing about Ernest Cline and Spielberg? Like a lot of the themes that Spielberg's touching on come from the sure. book. So, but, but, you know, but, we're but giving my, all these credits to Spielberg, but you know, but, you could say, well, yeah, but he's just taking what Ernest Cline. But my did. love for Ready, but my, my love for Ready Player One isn't isn't specifically about the themes, though. It's about it's about the entirety of what he did. I'm just saying, like a lot of what Sean just said felt more thematic. To me I think a lot of people have also tried to not a lot of people, but like other people have tried to adapt Cormac McCarthy and have failed. Um, yeah. They haven't they haven't nailed that the way that the Coens and maybe it is a perfect marriage of source adaptation and the filmmakers who have the perfect voice to just nail it. But I, I mean, I think everybody and but I, I like a lot more of the Cormac McCarthy adaptations than I think other people. I really liked The Road and I'm one of good. like 12 people that liked The Counselor. You like um, the counselor? Bro. I did counselor? like the counselor. I did uh, like the fine. Hey, you know who else loves the counselor? Guillermo del Toro is a massive. Well, you're in good company, but no, yeah. no. I think yeah. everyone's decisions were great, and I and yeah. I think, in my opinion, just the way Sean, the way you just sold that was amazing, and I I, I think it's fascinating. I, th- I think the reason why I went Lebowski personally was because I think comedy's harder to do than drama personally, yeah. uh, and I think that they struck a tone. And Fargo, with what Jake just said, is very true as well. Like, like the when you can make someone laugh in the middle of some of the darkest stuff you've ever seen in your life, that's genius. Like striking that tone. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess. I mean, me, I, I I told Ren once at my fiance one time. She's never. I don't think she's seen Fargo before. And I mentioned there's this really funny scene where a guy gets put in a wood chipper. Right. And I think she questioned <laughs> whether or not I was the person she really wanted to spend the rest of her life with. Because because like Kevin, you're right. Like when you can laugh. About a dude being put in a wood right. chipper, like what? The, where, where are you in life? The classic example of that, and by the way, this might be my—I uh, don't know if we can do Tarantino blend next week, but um, the uh, the <laughs> the scene in the scene in uh, the car where they shoot Marvin in the face, yeah. dude, like, I just shot Marvin in the face, right? That's <laughs> but the, but the, honestly, that to strike that tone as a filmmaker, that's hard, man. I don't know how you pull that off, but the Coens do it well. Tarantino does it well. Like I can't imagine, and I love Christopher Nolan, but I can't imagine Christopher Nolan doing a scene like that and making no. it. No. But there's Which also what well, I mean. You I, mean, I mean, mean, Sean made a passionate case, and I do agree with everything that he said. But the reason, I mean, and Fargo as well, the darkness. But there, there's not that for me. There's not that. Un, there's an unhinged thing that the coins do very well. That sometimes yeah. goes into caricature if it's a comedy. And with the drama, but you know what I mean? But that doesn't exist to me in No Country for All Men. And that's why I kind of never consider it because it feels very rounded and it feels its own, like it's its own thing. Uh, like so, how? The cops are coming to arrest Juan, I think. I don't know. I know. They Not totally me. disagree that, with your actually, pick. That's actually in Chicago. That's actually right outside my oh, window. Oh, is it it's Jake's yeah. window? We've yeah. seen what Juan's talking about before. We've seen that happen, like intolerable cruelty. Uh, like they, they've raising kind of Arizona, like, like raising Arizona. But I love raising Arizona was in my was of, in my was in my top four of emotionally emotionally grounded, and then it goes crazy, and that's uh, that's something that only they can do. Our Twitter mentions the people who played along at home with uh, using Cohen Bros Blend. They picked Old Country, No Country for Old Men, as the number one. Ah, oh, look at you! Oh well. Pat on the back, ra- thank you very much. But oh brother, oh brother, raising Arizona and Lebowski were very close, from uh, what I understand. And then producer Gabe says that um, there were no mentions at all for Blood Simple, for Hudsucker Proxy, for we did get a Barton Fink mention. Any Miller's yeah, Crossing? We got a, yeah, we got a Barton. Yeah, we, Barton we got Fink. some Miller's Crossing, um, and but no one mentioned True Grit. True Grit was almost my second one. I love really? True Grit. I, I, mean, I like True Grit, but, I, but to me, like that doesn't that doesn't sum up who the who the Coens are. Yeah, I yeah. know that's fair enough. All Blood right, next Simple week. was the one I almost went with. Blood Simple's great. Next week, 
We want to expand. We talked about expanding the concept beyond directors. And so next week, your homework is hashtag Hanks blend. We will debate the <laughs> best Tom Hanks movie of all time. The best one, not your favorite, the best. Oh, now say. the door is open to actors. We'll circle back to directors. We may do screenwriters. We may do composers. Maybe Kevin could we do? Ooh, Williams blend. We got to do composers. I, do I, this is like a never-ending show of awesome. I can't wait. To, uh, this is going to be. It's an amazing. <laughs> I love this. Thank, Thank you, Juan Fernandez, for joining. Oh. Uh, My fiance just walked in the room just trying to see what it was that I was screaming about. <laughs> <laughs> for joining Real Blend. Um, Juan, tell everybody where they can find you on social media and, and read your stuff. Uh, well, on social media, I am. Uh, it's uh, Juanma de Película. So I'm, you're going to have to spell it out for you because uh, it's J U A N D. No, that just sounds great. L I C A, which is basically Juan at the movies, but you know, in a very abbreviated place. Also, on Facebook, there are a bunch of passionate Puerto Ricans and uh, Hispanic film geeks on Facebook. Facebook.com slash ThePeliculaTV. D-E-P-E-L-I-C-A-TV. So there's where you can uh, we can share stuff uh, and talk passionately about movies. Awesome. And Juan, will can be I do the, mine? Uh, huh? uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go you can Jake, find me at, at, at Jakesetex. <laughs> Jake Hamilton Fox 32 it just sounds so much better when Juan, Juan can you say mine and you, Juan just record all of yeah, us uh, yeah you, I'm gonna have to dub you guys with a Spanish accent and then it'll be so, yes. much so yeah Kevin where are you at uh, I'm also at Juan's handle so if you if you tweet Juan's <laughs> handle I will I will respond for him. I'm you, know not, what? I, a... you, you know, I always tag you guys whenever I see something cool. I, I, might, that, I yeah. might not be Spielberg, but I am thinking of you guys all the time. So there you go. I look, we will... I look forward to a Juan tagging. I really do. Like, I, I'll, I'll wake up and I'll get, I'll get a tag. You're going to have to rephrase like Juan, that. Like... That doesn't sound correct at all. I'm being <laughs> no, I like it. That sounds perfect. I genuinely do. No, <laughs> That's no, a soundbite we're breaking I, I do want to mention for people who are listening now, uh, go to uh, iTunes, type in Real Blend, R-E-E-L, Blend. Uh, you can find our, our our previous podcast um but i know we're doing hanks blend next week but we have to put tarantino at some point because oh, yeah. that, that, that's gonna be an interesting debate he's hanks on the list I, don't hanks worry blend. he's on the list but jake oh, put say, hanks blend in my mind a while ago and i'm keeping jake's it got okay, some we're homework to do jake's got some homework yes. to do he's got a couple of hanks films not... he hasn't seen yet so yeah okay but here, here here's what i'll say is that I, i'm gonna like a lot of the, the hanks homework i have to do is 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 uh 80s comedy hanks blend money pit money pit's oh, amazing money, money, money pit i've seen Splash, I've seen. Um, what's the, what's the one that you want me to see? Watch. Save it for next Punch week. Line. Punch line. Punch line. It's the first time right. he blends drama and comedy. Okay. All right. You're All not right. allowed All to right. do Road All to Perdition. Right. All right. Next week, Tuesday, April third, we will be back at it live. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in to the live show. If you're listening to us on the stream, we really appreciate it, and we will talk to you next week. Dunkirk. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.